this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i'm your host g sampath the union government introduced the multi state cooperative societies amendment bill in the lok sabha on december 7th the justifications for the bill trotted out by the government include strengthening governance reforming the electoral process improving the monitoring mechanisms and ensuring ease of business ease of doing business ensuring financial discipline and making it easier to raise funds but opposition members have criticized certain sections of the bill on the grounds that it, it encroaches into the jurisdictions of states and seeks to centralize power with the central government in this episode of in focus we take a closer look at the bill and the socio political context that frames this legislative intervention joining us today is professor c shambhu prasad from the institute of rural management anand dr prasad it's been a while since we had you on the show great to have you back thank you very much sampath and the hindu for inviting me for this discussion great to to start with uh, my first question is uh, a very fundamental one can you please explain for the benefit of our listeners what exactly is a multi state cooperative society and how is it different from a, a regular so to speak cooperative society yeah so as the cooperatives uh, the numbers started increasing and most of the cooperatives operations started going beyond a particular state they would market their goods in other kinds of states so since 2002 after the act this enabled some of these cooperatives to do so so just to give you an example amul which is the largest indian dairy cooperative might have about a group turnover of 60000 crores but its membership has been stagnant at 3.6 million as it is only a cooperative in the state of gujarat and farmers in uttar pradesh rajasthan and other states while they contribute milk to the growth of amul possibly do not get the benefits because of the fact that amul is registered as a state cooperative so again to put this in context roughly around the same time as the multi state cooperative societies act came in was the farmer producer companies act and in this period of 2000 between 2002 to 2022 the total number of multi state cooperative societies have only been about 1600 that have been registered in contrast you know there are about 16000 farmer producer companies that have been registered in the same period so in a sense the mscs has not necessarily led to a significant growth and much of it has been mired in the older language of cooperative politics and bureaucracy so there is a case in that sense for looking at reforming the mscs and enabling an opportunity for cooperatives that are growing there is in fact today a talk of a few cooperatives getting together and even trying to grow internationally but i think the current structure doesn't necessarily allow for them to operate and therefore there is a context for the new bill or the amendment right now you mentioned earlier about how the up farmer might be contributing milk to the amul uh, cooperative but he doesn't get benefit uh, from it because he is not a member which is because it's registered only in gujarat so what does he get in return which is different from what a member in gujarat would get yeah i think the main things that any member gets he gets a better price realization but much of the benefits that a member has is in terms of the profit and the what is the right to residuals which comes after 
you know, the value addition and other activities that a dairy cooperative undertakes. So those value, those additional bonuses, dividends, etc., that does not accrue to a farmer in Uttar Pradesh or Rajasthan. So that was just partly because of the legal constraint. The number of members in the state of Gujarat is not growing, though the, the cooperative itself is growing significantly. That would kind of explain the rationale of why membership should be allowed across states. And that, in some sense, was recognized by the multi-state cooperative societies. Amul, Amul is not a multi-state cooperative. No, it's still registered. So you see that every year as the revenue changes, its membership remains the same, which is roughly around 3.6 million. But we already have a multi-state cooperative uh, whatever act. And uh, you already have a legal framework for a multi-state cooperative. So why isn't a cooperative like what has stopped Amul from uh, extending the membership to other states? No, that's just to provide a possibility. One, I mean, Amul could still do it if the members currently want to do so. But let's say we want to merge. Uh, Amul wants to work along with IFCO and Cripco and other kinds of companies to separate, set up a separate entity. While IFCO and Cripco and others are possibly already multi-state cooperatives, Amul, by definition, is not. So in the current law, only multi-state cooperatives can join together to form a joint venture. So this amendment might enable some of the individual cooperatives to also merge along with or work along with. They don't need to necessarily merge and then set up a venture separately. Okay, you, you referred earlier to this farmer producer association. They are also cooperatives? Farmer producer companies. So they are not cooperatives? They are cooperatives set up as business enterprises, but they are registered under the Companies Act. And there was an amendment made around 2000 or when the bill was passed and it was enacted in 2002, which allowed an, you know a registration of uh, an association of farmers who could set up a producer company uh, and will be treated... All, almost on par with a, you know, for legal purposes, it is treated on par with the company, but it has the heart of a cooperative in terms of its functioning and governance. Okay, so you were making the point that farmers were preferring, those who want to do a cooperative kind of a thing, they were preferring to go with this farmer producer companies framework rather than a multi-state uh, cooperative society framework. In a sense, I think what I'm just mentioning was that the growth of multi-state cooperative societies haven't been kept in pace with the, let's say, the growth of farmer producer companies, because I think there's an ease of doing business to a certain extent with FPCs as opposed to multi-state cooperative societies. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, one can sort of take the larger point that the multi-state cooperative societies uh, haven't really taken off the way uh, they were envisaged, perhaps, or the way expectations were, and there has been a lot of red tape around it. So, in that perspective, can you give us a quick overview before we go, we can go into the details later of the key amendments according to you in the proposed uh, bill? Yeah. So, while the document itself is reasonably large, I think the original document already has significant points. So, I think some of these are minor changes in terms of adding a few articles here and there. In a few cases, there is a simplification of processes, inclusion and setting up of type frames. But more, some of the more substantive things are issues related to governance, which includes setting up a, you know, a cooperative election authority, a cooperative information officer, a cooperative ombudsman, and uh, you know, a rehabilitation fund for revival of sick cooperatives, 
a slight change in the structure where the 1% fund is now going instead of directly to the national cooperative union it goes now goes to the center this also empowers the center to suspend board for not holding of meeting within a stipulated time and so on and it also allows any cooperative society to merge into an existing multi state cooperative society earlier only multi state cooperative societies were able to do so so this could help the consolidation and growth of the cooperatives instead of many of the cooperatives being sometimes at a suboptimal size and not making sufficient you know utilization of possibility of scale of operations okay okay uh, shambhu uh, uh, going back a little bit in uh, history uh, since we're talking about changing and making bringing in more transparency at least the government is talking about bringing in more transparency uh, better governance and all kinds of reforms including electoral reforms in 1991 the choudhury brahm prakash committee of the planning commission made uh, its own set of recommendations for reforming or rather reorganizing the multi state cooperative societies so is is there uh, can you talk a little bit about what these recommendations were and if any of them find a place in this uh, bill it's been like 30 years but so uh, are they are they reflected in this bill in any way yeah to a certain extent in the 1990s i think there was a recognition that many of the cooperatives have become dense of political and bureaucratic you know events in some sense and uh, it became less and less member owned in in that sense so i think the idea was to try and bring the a few liberal laws that would make it possible for cooperatives to be formed without having to be dependent a large into a large extent on the government and i think some of the recommendations of the brahm prakash committee was manifest when the state of andhra pradesh or the undivided andhra pradesh at that point in time had enacted a self reliant cooperative act which was also in collaboration with the cooperative development foundation and this came out in 1995 so that enabled the formation of many cooperatives without necessarily having to be dependent on the state so many civil society organizations self help groups uh, etc got together to form and register themselves under this liberal act and this act was then taken up in many other states and uh, eight other states including jammu and kashmir have this you know amended or reformed self reliant cooperative bill now the bill in its current form does not mention these possibilities but hopefully some of these elements of doing business and making them more member owned could be part of the larger national cooperative policy which is underway uh, as a result of this liberalization of uh, or these new cooperative laws that came in in 1995 we've had uh, the role of women getting strengthened in many parts uh, without necessarily having any specific you know provisions and many sgs federated together to form federations uh, of sgs under this act and even farmer cooperatives today in both uh, andhra pradesh and telangana sometimes prefer registering under the self reliant act rather than the farmer producer company with the legal compliances for the latter are much higher so in a sense the self reliant cooperative act is a good intermediary between an excessive dependence on compliance and other kinds of things but the key element is the less role of the state and interference of the state rather than the role of the state the state interferes much less 
in the Self-Reliant Cooperatives Act, the Register of Cooperatives does not have a veto power, which was exercised a lot in some of the earlier older state cooperatives. Right. So, these multi-state cooperative societies' uh, amendment bill seems to be going in the other direction, right? Compared to the Self-Reliance Cooperative Act, there is much more uh, scope for state interference than in this act. To a certain extent, yes. I think, uh, you know, some elements of it seems to indicate with perhaps greater clarity on how should elections be conducted, you know, when should it be done, if you don't do this, what should happen? and other kinds of things. So there could be, I mean, in one sense, there is a direction. Even earlier, you know, the registrar would be the central registrar rather than the state registrars. But I think some elements, because you need to ensure that elections are held in time, I think they have tried providing more details on what will happen. Yeah, speaking of this election thing, so one of the proposed amendments is uh, the creation of a central cooperative election authority. Members will be appointed by the central government. So how how does the election uh, process take place at present under the Parent Act? I mean, is, I think it's a governing board which conducts, right? And is it really necessary to have a centralized election authority? Yeah. Well, I think one of the big things about cooperatives have been sometimes the regular conduct of elections. So many cooperatives in many states have suffered because cooperative elections don't often happen on time. And I think this timeliness of elections is an important element where members can represent themselves and hopefully vote on non-party kind of lines. But in reality, things work very differently. Typically speaking, the members, I mean, the older system would allow for the members to vote regularly. But along with voting, I think the important part is to ensure that the audit of the, you know, the cooperative happens in a professional manner. And sometimes these do get delayed. So the health of the financial health of the cooperative is dependent on good and regular kind of audit. And I think some of the cooperatives have been lacking in that sense. So sometimes there is an over-dependence on the state infrastructure to conduct these audits. And that in some sense can create a dependence. Even the election authority that is being suggested today is in a sense determined by the center. The, the chairman should be a someone at additional secretary level and the vice chairman at a joint secretary level and so on. So while having government officials can help in the conduct of it well enough, there is currently no provision for getting people who understand the cooperative movement well to be members of it with certain kinds of restrictions. So there is some concern possibly about the issue of autonomy, but we'll have to wait and see how this pans out. Yeah, no, so let, even if it's a multi-state uh, cooperative society, I mean, one understands it can't be, you can't have uh, uh, an election authority coming from just one state. So isn't it possible to have a, a kind of a governance structure for this body where you got, say, election authority members from each of the states where the cooperative works and the state governments or whoever collectively appoints them, why should the central government appoint the election authority for this when already the central government is appointing every everybody every single statutory body why does it need to appoint for this also well i think there's not too much change in that sense there is a central registrar that was articulated earlier i think what the government has done is to articulate who can be the chairperson what can be the terms of that person's time and so on but perhaps uh, what i would tend to think is that the emphasis is more on the control side rather than the the liberal side of making them much more member-owned. So while the 
Framing in some sense is to ensure greater functional autonomy. I think that is not get likely to get translated in practices in terms of this, the legalese that is currently underway. So we probably have to have a few very good models of multi-state cooperative societies to come up and then they could be seen to be trying to be replicated in other places. A point is that there is possibly enough experience in some of the states in how some elements have been there which possibly could be used in trying to formulate the you know the central law but i think maybe they might be requiring more kind of consultations on this and the concern of some of the states is about the fact that they probably not been consulted enough and they may want to look at these elements a bit more right now speaking of concern of uh, concerns of the states there is this uh, proposed amendment to section 17 of the parent act which will enable state cooperatives to merge uh, with a multi-state cooperative. I mean, you did mention earlier why this could be necessary uh, to get uh, membership benefits to other state members, etc. So, but it has also been pointed out by opposition leaders that this goes beyond the legislative uh, competence of the center because state co-ops, whether they merge or not, state co-ops come under the purview of the state government. So, what are your thoughts on this particular debate, the two sides of it? Yeah, well, uh, I think cooperative still is a state subject, but I guess when we're talking of what had happened after the 97th Amendment and so on, and some of it has got cleared below to the Supreme Court ruling. But when you're talking of a multi-state cooperative, I think the center has more of a say in establishing rules to avoid too much variation amongst different kinds of states. And if the cooperatives in these places want to expand to other states and explore the possibility of growing in size and scale, I think we do need perhaps more of a central law than a state law. Otherwise, each state might have a slightly different kind of variation. Now, what should be the nature of the central law? How does it get represented? Uh, Do states have a voice? These are the other kinds of concerns. Right. Do states have a voice? I think that's well articulated. I think that's a central concern, uh, not just with this provision. Uh, there is another provision which has attracted a lot of comment and which is the creation of a cooperative rehabilitation, reconstruction and development fund for the revival of sick multi-state cooperatives. And this is going to be financed by existing profitable cooperatives, which will have to deposit either rupees 1 crore or 1% of their net profit. I think you also mentioned earlier that this this earlier this amount would go to the National Cooperative Union, but now it will go into the kitty of the central government. So, two questions. One, why should it not continue to go to the Cooperative Union? And two, will this not impose an additional financial burden on the whatever select cooperatives which are at least making a profit? Yeah, to answer this question completely, I think we really need to have more uh, information on database on how exactly the multi-state cooperative societies are doing. Now, one of the advantages of the farmer, I mean, the producer companies is that it is easy to get some of this information from the Ministry of Corporate Affairs website. And that's the kind of understanding of the growth and so on. But very difficult to get this kind of information. So, for instance, we wouldn't know how many of the multi-state cooperative societies have profits, let's say, in the range of a few 10 or 100 kinds of crores. So whether they will be even in a position to pay 1% or so of their net profit. So maybe some of the big ones like IFCO and all, it doesn't really count for much. Uh, 1% may not be much. But for certain cooperatives which are not necessarily so profitable, we don't know whether this 1% is going to be really a significant amount or not. 
and whether one crore in that sense. So sometimes it does take a while for a cooperative to reach a crore as well of turnover and so on. So there is a possibility that this will impose a burden. But I think if you look at it from a larger perspective, the cooperative law in any case enables the creation of statutory reserves, a fund to try and maintain you know, some amount of money to, for education and training. The concern possibly of the Stendhal government is to probably broad base the capability building of the cooperative. So maybe that's why they would like to try and take it beyond the NCUI perhaps. It's not very clear at this point in time. But there is a scope for strengthening the existing cooperative training mechanisms, which I think have not been up to speed in terms of many of the latest developments. So there is a requirement where the members are in a position to get much better kinds of services in terms of building their own self-capability to govern these institutions. We should be moving in a direction where at the end of it, whether it is the state or the center, it's actually not so much a center-state debate as much as a member versus, you know, the state as we understand center or state kind of uh, debate. So is the control at the end of it left more with the members and the self-help principles of the cooperatives or is it going to remain with the central government or the state government only? Right. I think that's a, that's a good way of framing it. The, the, the debate is not so much whether the control remains with, uh, with the central or with the state government, but it is members versus non-members. In this case, non-members would mean the state itself, not the state government, but the, but the but the structure of the state, the central government in most cases. Now, coming back to the same question of uh, autonomy versus control, under the Parent Act, the government could supersede the board of the cooperative, multi-state cooperative, and issue direct instructions to the cooperatives where it has a stake of 51% or more. There is some logic to it because 51% would uh, entitle the stakeholder to some kind of a say in how it is run. But this amendment bill changes this provision so that the government can now give directions to a multi-state cooperative even where it has any stake, even maybe 1% stake also, or extended any loan or financial assistance or guarantee. So what is the logic here? What are the possible effects of this change? Why do you think it was warranted? Yeah, so I think uh, in some sense, the government seems to try and establish processes for a certain amount of financial discipline so that they probably don't end up getting sick and, you know, relatives of the, the governance is more strengthened. So the the amendment says who can be part of this and who cannot, who's considered a relative and all those kinds of details. But I think the slant of it is more towards control rather than trying to work towards autonomy. So if I would have been happier to see certain amendments that enable members to become more autonomous. So this is, a, you know, in some sense, a legacy where the state has been supporting and behaving in some sense as the promoter, the financier, the regulator, and everything of the cooperative movement. And that's the fallback of the early era of the 80s and even earlier 70s and so on. If we are talking of the cooperatives as an institutions of the 21st century, we should be moving in the direction of greater autonomy and independence. And unfortunately, the current bill as is, even with its amendments, is not moving sufficiently in that direction. Right, and we are seeing this, uh, the direction in which it is headed uh, within a background, a historical background, where which everybody is familiar with of, uh, as you pointed out earlier as well, uh, history of cooperatives being uh, an instrument for doling out political patronage 
and uh, so on one penultimate question before we sort of go go and wrap up this episode as we are running out of time now this bill also seeks to change the composition of uh, cooperative uh, governing boards by making it mandatory to give representation to scst members and women so what according to you are the problems uh, with the way the boards function at present and will this address those concerns do you think this representativeness yeah i guess the point is yes there is a fact that the you know some of the cooperatives have been dominated by men and uh, not sufficient representations of let's say tribals or the dalit communities in it but i think a diktat alone is not likely to create newer ones that will be better governed and managed uh, i think we need to ensure that there is greater representation so if you look at dairy cooperatives in gujarat while most of the dairy cooperatives have largely been men driven there is also the dairy cooperative which is the vasudhara dairy in uh, closer to surat and in balsad which has the largest number of women board members across and this is not happened because of necessarily reservations or even you take the example of mulkanur cooperative which is a women's cooperative completely i think we need to understand from some of these better examples what are the processes need to look closely at it should it be a directive principle kind of thing which is recommending that you should have this many number of members and then suggest to the members to decide how they want to ensure what they mean in terms of inclusion it is important to have inclusion but to define it in a very close manner is something which may not be uh, as preferable as one would say or one would like right uh, another uh, provision uh, which i actually forgot to sort of bring up earlier is to do with the appointment of a cooperative information officer and a cooperative ombudsman now who is going to appoint these officials is it, is it the members themselves or is it going to be somebody sort of a committee of the government and how will it change the way the cooperatives are functioning right now so i think the cooperative information officer is more or less like many of the public institutions are to support you know have a person who is supposed to provide information on rti etc so there's a designated person who would do so it's more or less in those lines whether we actually needed the better system would have been let the members themselves ensure that anyone can read these uh, financial reports the audits are easily available and so on the ombudsman will be appointed by the central government and not by the i mean it, it's a it's something that has to come from the center and that's that's the way it is currently seen the point of concern is in the amendment of the document uh, you know we still have words where you say the cooperative ombudsman or the you know uh, the chairman will be a he i think it's not sufficiently gen- or it says if he is satisfied i think it's about time that all our documents go through a gender test and ensure that we use the she or he in uh, in all the documents in when we refer to a chairperson rather than the chairman and so right uh we're running out of time shambhu so one final question uh before we wrap up you have studied uh, the cooperative movements from different parts of the world including uh, countries such as germany would you say that one of the key aspects of uh, cooperative in fact the primary aspect of a cooperative uh, society is functional autonomy and if that is the case how does this proposed amendment bill and the way uh, it is sort of tweaking the legislative framework how does it compare with the norms and practices that you have seen and observed in developed countries thanks sampath for asking this i think uh, some of us had an opportunity to visit uh, cooperatives in germany as part of a study tour from across 
different parts of the country. And I think what was most interesting there was the complete lack of governmental support for these cooperatives. And some of these institutions have been surviving for over 100 years. Their laws are simple. They have three main principles on which they don't have a lot of principles, self-help, self-responsibility and self-governance. And I think based on this, it is possible to run these institutions. I think there's a lot that we need to try and learn from these experiences because of our, you know, different kind of legacy. We probably follow the English system much more. The strength of the cooperatives is much higher in other kinds of countries. But wherever we learn from, I think the key focus is to try and return autonomy and control to the members rather than depend too much on the state. And I think that's a direction which we hope that the national cooperative policy will uh, try and undertake. The MSCS is a small part of the larger reform that is being envisaged by the government of India. Right. I think that's a really beautifully put. I think those three principles uh, should be taken seriously by uh, policymakers, be it in the case of multi-state cooperative societies or the rest of the thing. Uh, self-help, self-responsibility and self-governance, where the larger aim is to sort of hand over or rather give preference or give privilege the autonomy of the members themselves rather than the government giving instructions, the government giving uh, directives on how it should be run and monitoring and so on and so forth. I think the members themselves should be empowered to to make uh, all those benefits and services accrue to them. And the ecosystem in some sense is trying to enable this to happen. So they have a very good auditing system and they have well-trained auditors who are able to compete with some of the big auditing firms and are able to provide their services at a better, good services at a lower cost than some of these auditing firms. So there is an investment in some sense in these kind of institutions, which again are autonomous, but serve the members' interest overall at the end of it. Right. Thank you so much, Shambhu. On that note, we shall conclude this. Thank you so much once again for talking to us and for sharing your thoughts and insights on this matter. Thank you. A pleasure, Sampath and the Hindu, for this opportunity. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.